God. Welcome to everybody tonight. If you're a guest tonight, we welcome you. If you're not a guest tonight, it's good to have you. If you're joining us online somewhere, we welcome you as a part of this service. If you're not standing and you're able to do so, we are excited this weekend to have Brother Ryan near with us. He is uh, from Iowa. Uh, several, I think about three or years or so ago, he and I crossed bat paths, I think initially through Brotherhood, and uh, he's been to Call to War, he's been to the Apostolic Conference in Mississippi that Bishop teaches at, and uh, so we've, we've kind of been uh, staying connected and felt like good timing and work for him, so we are we're very excited to have him with us this weekend and expecting God to do some great things, so Brother Near, come. Welcome to Antioch. It's good to have you. Well, let's clap for Jesus, everybody. He's the reason why we're here. Hallelujah. Come on. Unto the King eternal, immortal, invisible, unto the only wise God, be all glory and honor forever and ever. Hallelujah. We love you, Jesus. We love you, Lord. Hallelujah. It is certainly good to be in the house of God. I'm glad to be in the house of God when he shows up. I'm glad to be here with his, his beautiful bride, the church. Glad to be a part of the church. I'm thankful that I'm able to be here with all of you. You are the precious apple of his eye. So good. I am, and I, Pastor did say I was from Iowa, but please don't hold that against me. Amen. If you know anything about Iowa, well, I'm sorry. It's a good place to be from. Amen. But I'm glad to be here at the Antioch. Amen. Good to be here. It is a privilege. I have watched and admired from a distance your worship, the ministry. But I'm glad that I get to be here tonight because I do feel like God just has something for us tonight. Amen. 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 I'm looking forward to the ministry of the Word, looking, to, looking forward to the connections that will be made. Uh, actually, I've got a friend here, Samantha Seipel. She's from, the mid, she's from the Midwest. I mean, she's from out here, but she, I've met her in Minnesota. Amen. Minnesota. And uh, I go and preach to where her where her father is, and and uh, we become good friends. He, she's I'm gonna tell on her. She's actually my five year old son's girlfriend. Amen. But I'm glad she's here. I'm glad you're here. Did you catch it? I'm glad you're here. Amen. I'm glad all of you are here. And uh, do you have your Bibles? I don't want to take too much time with just introductions because. We'll get to know each other, but if you have your Bible standing in reverence of the Word of the Lord, would you turn your Bibles to Acts chapter 1? And while you're turning there, I just want to do a disclaimer real quick. If you're sitting on the front row, I spit when I preach. It's going to be like SeaWorld in a little bit. Amen. So you just, I mean, just get ready. Amen. You might get your umbrellas of faith. Just know he's going to... He's not preaching good till he's spitting on the front row. Amen. 
Amen. But I, I'm, I'm serious, okay? <laughs> Just doing a little disclaimer because I've had people come up to me. They say, why you got to shout? Why you got to spit? Why you got to climb on pew, pews and pulpits? Why you got to do all that? I said, well, when you can't preach, you got to do something. <laughs> had one first-time visitor. She came up to me. She said, you ain't got to be so loud. I told her, well, you don't have to take a bath either, but it feels good. It's like that song, I got fire shut up in my bones. Amen. It's all right. I'm just, I'm just trying to break the ice a little bit because it's all right to laugh in the house of God. You want to know the Bible says a merry heart worketh like medicine. That's why some people are still sick. You're, you're one, you're one smile away from a miracle. I feel it. I, you almost got me preaching already. I haven't even read the text yet. Amen. But it is a privilege to be here. Acts chapter 1. Amen. Amen. Here we go. Acts chapter 1. We'll just start at verse 2. Until the day in which he was taken up. After that, he through the Holy Ghost had given commandments unto the apostles whom he had chosen. Everybody say chosen. To whom he also he showed himself alive after his passion by many infallible proofs, being seen of them forty days and speaking of things pertaining to the kingdom of God, and being assembled together with them, commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which saith he, ye have heard of me. Skipping down to verse 8. But ye shall receive power. After that the Holy Ghost is come upon you. And ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost parts of the earth. That includes here. And when he had, watch now, and when he had spoken these things while they beheld, he was taken up in a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven, as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, two men that we we come to believe as angels, messengers sent from God, which also said, Ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus which is taken up from you into heaven shall so come in like manner as ye have seen him go into heaven. Then, everybody say then. That's what we're after. Then return they unto Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is from Jerusalem. Notice Jesus spoke a promise on the mountain. And he said it's going to be fulfilled in Jerusalem. Then returned they unto Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is from Jerusalem a Sabbath day's journey. It's a journey between the place where God speaks a promise into the place and the position 
where the promise is fulfilled. And in between lies a journey that he deemed according to his word a Sabbath day's journey. And when they were come in, they went up into an upper room. If I could preach to you what I feel the Holy Ghost would have me to say prophetically to this church, I want to preach about that journey, but more specifically about reactivating that faith that is necessary so that we may take the journey. So if I could, just for recollection later on after you get tired and weary, worn out in the journey, I want to preach to you about faith for the journey. If you would and you feel a witness, I want you to just throw your hands up in the air. And I want you to pray that God would speak into your heart and your life and into your prophetic potential. Would you pray? Father, right now in the name of Jesus, I pray in the authority of the word of God and the power that is in the name of Jesus. I bind every hindering spirit, whether whether human or demonic. And I pray binding all clear, all confusion, releasing clarity and revelation. I bind every insecurity, every doubt and every fear. Oh God, I pray every mentality that would hinder, that would harm Lord God, what you have for your body tonight. I pray Lord, bind it, but release revelation and understanding. But I pray Lord, let the gift of faith rest upon your people, that we may take the journey, that we may be positioned and postured for the prophetic potential that you have envisioned that you've set in order for this your perfect that's it go ahead that's it go ahead lift your voice set the framework for the prophetic with your prayers ah sotopo saramokoya siramo sotoramaha I didn't come to hear from some young man tonight. I came to hear a word from God tonight. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. If you'd clap your hands for Jesus one more time. Amen and amen and amen. Amen. You may be seated if you so desire. Thank you, Pastor, Pastor Wright, for having me. I know, I know I look young. I'm only 12 years old this September in the Lord. Amen. But, but I do believe God has given us something very special for this church. We travel full time uh, as an evangelist across the nation. Anything else makes me nervous. But one thing that I know that Galatians chapter 4, it says that a son differeth nothing from a servant while he's a child, though he be Lord of all, but is placed under tutors and governors until the appointed time. Somebody say the appointed time. A son differeth nothing from a servant while he is young, while he is immature, even though everything that he will inherit is already his. It's that father that would place him under tutors and governors. And I'm here to tell you tonight, God, he's not looking for servants. He has those. But what he's wanting to take us from servants to sons. 
Because a servant says, this is what I do. But a son says, this is who I am. And I want somebody to know church is not something that we do. Church is who we are. Worship is not what we do, but worshipers are who we are. But a servant says, this is what I do. I go to church. I, I pay my tithes. I, I do this. And, and that's what a servant is. But a son says, this isn't just what I do. But this emanates from who I am. And But God said in Galatians, he said, a son differeth nothing from a servant while he is a child, immature, not ready to handle what's already his, but is placed under tutors and governors until that appointed time. But can I tell you that one of the tutors or the teacher, the test giver, that God or the Father places over a son when he is young is a moment of transition. It is those moments of transition that I feel like this church is right smack dab in the middle of. It is a transition that God has set over you as a tutor, as a governor, a test giver to see if you're ready to handle what he's established as it's already yours. God's looking for sons that understand what I'm going through. It's not because he hates me. He doesn't love me. I'm not better than somebody else. But it is the transition moments that churches pass through that God uses them as the test giver and the test to see if they can handle what's already theirs and if they are ready for the appointed time where the sons of God will be made manifest. And that is where we find the disciples in the text that I read to you in Acts chapter 1. They are stepping out of what once was and about to step into what will be. They stand on a mountain after they had walked with Jesus for three and a half years. They watched God manifesting himself in the flesh to wit that God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself. Understand these these disciples that I read to you about, they had been living in the greatest reality of God that the world had ever known. They knew him more than Jehovah Jireh. They knew him more than Jehovah Nisi. They knew him as Jehovah in flesh, walking amongst them. Emmanuel, God with us. They knew God in a greater reality than anybody had ever known them. They walked with Jesus for three and a half years. They watched him open the blinded eyes, watched him unstop the deaf ear, cause the lame to leap to their feet. They seen all this. This was a great reality of God. He was Emmanuel walking with them. They slept on the same dirty floors together. They ate on the same tables. They, they went through all that they went through, the blistering heat and everything that Jesus went through, they went through with him in that greatest reality of God. But now, after they had walked nearly 900 miles, three and a half years, they come to this place after the death, burial, and resurrection. They find Jesus on top of a mountain with them and says, hey, I want you to go and stay in Jerusalem. 
Because in Jerusalem, there's an even greater reality. There's an even greater prophetic potential. He said, go wait in Jerusalem until you be endued with power on high. He said, you go wait in Jerusalem until you receive the promise that you've heard of me. He said, go and wait in Jerusalem. But the place where God spoke the promise and the place where the promise would be fulfilled, two different places. He stands on that mountain saying, right down there in Jerusalem, there is going to be an even greater reality of God than mankind has ever known because no longer am I going to be Emmanuel, God, with you, but I'm going to be Jesus, God, in you through the power of the infilling of the Holy Ghost. But here's the thing. Trek with me, if you will. Here's the thing. While Jesus was on that mountain, he point. I can see him. Jesus points down. He said, right down there, boys, in Jerusalem. It's right there. You can see it from where you stand. Right down in Jerusalem. He said, go and wait. That is the place. That is the posture. That is the position where I'll fulfill my prophetic word, where I'll pour out what I said that I would. But guess what? The Bible said Then all of a sudden Jesus is taken away from them. And they are now closer than they had ever been to the place and the position of prophetic fulfillment. But standing between where God spoke the word and where the word is fulfilled and where the word is carried out, there is a a journey that stands in between the word and the word fulfilled. And can I tell you, Antioch Church, that is where we stand tonight. We've received the prophetic. There have been words spoken over us, but between where we are and where God will fulfill it is a journey called a Sabbath day's journey. They had walked all this way, but now only stands a Sabbath day's journey. Allow me to elaborate on a Sabbath day's journey. A Sabbath day's journey is just 2,000 steps. A Sabbath day's journey is just a three-fourths of a mile journey down a little goat path through an eastern gate and into an upper room. Can I tell you, they've come this far. Now they're closer than they've ever been. Just a Sabbath day journey. The Sabbath day journey, if you'll allow me to go a little bit further, the Sabbath day journey that is mentioned, that 2,000 steps, that three-fourths of a mile, that may be 15, 20, 25 minutes away from being in the greatest reality of... The Sabbath day journey, we find it first in Joshua chapter 3 when they were about to go into the promised land and Joshua stands up and he said you take that ark that symbolic that symbolic representation of the tangible presence of God I want you to put that ark out in front 2,000 cubits And he said, when you see it move, when you see the priest uh, take it up on their shoulders and you see it start to move, he says, Joshua said, remove from your place uh, and go after. He said, when you see it start to move, you got to get up, uh, remove from your, and go after it. But see, that was different. Can, can I go ahead and walk? Can I do my thing? I just, I've been hiding behind the, 
I'm going to come down there in a second. Just get me going. A couple more amens. I'm there already. But you got to understand the Sabbath day journey, the 2,000 cubits that he mentioned that he was talking about in Joshua chapter 3. He said, when you see it move, you've got to go out. You can't just stay where you are. But you got, he said, if you're going to get in the promised land, here's how it's going, here's how we're going to get there. But watch now, that's different than how they've been operating for the last 40 years. Because the last 40 years, what God had been doing with them is feeding them with manna. That miraculous bread every day. God bring manna to them. Forty years. God brought it to them. They got tired of the miraculous. They said the miraculous got mundane to them. There's some things that can happen over 40 years. Even the miraculous can become mundane to us. That even after 40, after all the manna came, God said, or they said to God, God, we want something else. We want meat. So God brought them quail. They didn't have to get a deer tag. God just brought quail to them, dropped it in their front yard. And they went and God brought it to them. And they just went out and got So 40 years, God's bringing manna to them. 40 years, God's bringing quail to them. And even the New Testament tells us that in the wilderness, a rock followed them. So 40 years manna brought to them. 40 years quail was brought to them. 40 years a rock was brought to them. But God said, if you're going to get into the promised land, you're going to have to change the way you operate. You can't wait for it to come to you. But when you see it move, get out of your place and go after it. So I'm telling Antioch, you've had it brought to you. Now go after it. We've had it one way for 40 years. Hey, but now God said, it's moving. It's moving. If we're going to get into the promised land, we're going to have to change the way we operate. Because 40 years and it changed. And when that ark moved, they got up from their place and they went after it. That's the Sabbath day's journey. The same transition that took the Israelites from the wilderness into the promised land. We now find the disciples in the same transition under the same tutor for their appointed time. Oh, God. But watch now. God had to change the way that they operated because they could have got into the promised land with an old mentality. But guess what? You can get into, if God didn't change the way they function and say, you go after it instead of it coming after you, you can get into a promised land place. You can be exactly where God wants you and in position, surrounded by the greatest harvest that mankind has ever seen. You can be in the promised land. But if you're in the promised land with a manna mentality, you can still starve to death. Oh, you're going to make me preach tonight. I can feel it already. Because God don't want you to take a manna mentality into a promised land place and you miss out on the greatest harvest that this church has ever seen. Because once you taste the fruit of the new land, my God, the manna has to see. He said, 
The manna ceases when you taste of the fruit of that new land, that old corn. When you taste of it, the manna ceases. So therefore, you're going to have to take the seed corn. You just can't go in with a consumer mentality and just keep eating. You're going to have to take what has been given you. Instead of it just sustaining you, you've got to learn how to plow the field yourself with prayer. You've got to learn how to place the seed, and you've got to water it with water. Do you understand? You've got to learn how to take what's been given you, and instead of allowing it just to minister to you, you've got to take it because guess what manna mentality it is suffice for you and it will sustain you and it will maintain you but when you step into the promised land and take what's been given you and you put it into the field guess what you'll never know the true value of the seeds that have been given you until you put it in the field and you watch it multiply then it starts to feed your family then it starts to feed your home and it starts to feed your neighbor hey somebody you'll never know the value of the barns full that have been stored up over the years until we plan it for ourselves. Guess what? Because a consumer mentality, a manna mentality in a promised land place, you'll end up starving to death surrounded by everything God has intended for you. I travel all over and I watch churches that are starving for the supernatural. They're starving for a miracle from God. They're starving for healing. They're starving for revival. And they're surrounded by it. Biggest ears of corn you ever saw. I'm from Iowa, folks. I know about big ears of corn. Amen. Everything from Iowa's got big ears. Can't you tell? But a consumer mentality, because there's two kinds of seed. There's a seed that feeds you and a seed that feeds the ground. But if you continue to just take in, take in, take in, you'll end up eating your next year's harvest and you'll end up starving to death. That's why one of the plagues, you know what? You know what? One of the plagues in Egypt was a locust. A locust would come in and eat the harvest. It'd eat one field. It moved to the next field. It eat that field and moved to the next field. And that's why it was a plague. Because it would eat your harvest and cause you to starve to death. But we know John the Baptist in the New Testament, while he was in the wilderness, he had meat, he had honey, and he ate locusts. You want to know how he survived his wilderness? He said, I'm going to eat you before you eat my harvest. Somebody, you got to get it in your spirit that I'm going to defeat a consumer mentality. I didn't come to the church for what it can do for me, but I came to the church because God put something in me. I'm going to eat you before you eat my harvest. My God, I'm coming out of my wilderness. I'm stepping into my ministry because I... I'm not, my, 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 I feel a preaching spirit in this house. You ought to clap your hands to Jesus and thank you. Somebody say, I'm going to eat you before you eat my harvest. I'm not going to be a generation that just comes to church to get, but I'm coming to be a son, not just a servant. This isn't what I do. This is who I am. 
Bubba, this is yours. Put it in the field. Watch it multiply. Because past generations stored up barns full in the promised land waiting for you to take it and put it in the field. Consumer mentality. But watch now. That is the same journey. You may be seated. That's the same journey that these disciples are about to embark on. God has given them three and a half years of barns stored full. Now they got to go put it in the field. 2,000 cubits stands between them and the place where God fulfills his word. They find themselves on that mountain. Jesus says, right down there, boys, just a little bit further. You've come this far, but just a little bit further. Down in that down that hill, through that eastern gate. Hey, guess what? Through that eastern gate and into Jerusalem in an upper room. He said, just wait there. Just stay there. Just stay faithful. It's going to come. But you stay faithful until it falls. But can I tell you what I feel in the Holy Ghost? Those disciples on top of that mountain, closer than they've ever been, to the prophetic fulfillment that had been promised uh, by their beloved Messiah, closer than they've ever been. But all of a sudden, once Jesus speaks the word, all of a sudden that cloud comes, takes their beloved Jesus away, the way they knew him, the way they they handled him, the last three and a half years seemingly going for naught. They said, where'd he go? The way they've been, that greatest reality of God is now just a residue. And all of a sudden, closer than they've ever been to their prophetic fulfillment. They are, it's right down there, but what they're doing is they're stuck in a lesser residue of the realities of God that they've always known. Closer than they've ever been. A transition moment where they stand on a Mount Olivet. They could look through an eastern gate and see the very upper room, but they're still. That Jesus just left them with a promise, but no provision as of yet. And now they're stuck, the Bible said. Two angels show up and say, Ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing? In other words, why are you satisfied? And why are you living on the leftovers of a great reality that was good, stuck in between what was and what will be? I'm telling you, Antioch, we cannot stay stuck in between what was and what will be any longer. I believe God sent me as a messenger to tell you why are you living on the leftovers and the residue of the high watermarks of past times when God, right down a hill, through an eastern, God's got more for you than you've ever seen. It's going to go from just one manifestation of God in flesh to many and all. To the same disciples that were with you. I'm telling you, they said, why are you lingering? They're with the mentality, where did we last see him? Instead of, where's he going to show up next? 
When was the last great move of God? Was it last year? Was it last season? And we're focused living in the residue when just right down the hill. Waiting for God to bring it to them. Where do we see him last? The Jesus that they fell in love with. The manifestation of God that they were devoted to. Where'd you go, Where'd you go? I liked it when it was like that. You were doing all the work. We were just following. what God was wanting not just him to stand and tower in supernatural power above everybody else but he wanted what was on him to get on all of them where'd he go and that's where we are trying to recreate realities of past what But God didn't bring you here for that. He brought you right down the hill, Pastor, through that eastern gate. Can I tell you what this church is? This church is a Mount Olivet and an eastern gate to the entire nation. And he's going to use you when you take this journey. He's going to use you to open up the floodgates, the eastern gate, into the prophetic fulfillment for the entire night. Don't you understand the positioning where God's positioned you? Now what God is saying, if you're going to be the eastern gate into the greatest reality of God that mankind has ever seen, you can't just linger in the leftover residues of a God that once was. But he's saying it's time for somebody to step out of where they are, how they've always known him, how we've always operated, and take a step down a hill through it. And place yourself in position. In position for God to do what he said that he would. But what I've come to preach tonight Let's lift our hands. There's, there's, there's revelation here right now. Let's lift our hands and receive that. Come on, Mount Elevate. Come on. Come on, Eastern Gate. Why don't you just lift your hands? Lift up your heads, ye everlasting gates. Oh, be ye lifted up, ye everlasting doors. Somebody pray in the Spirit right now. Come on, that's the journey. That's what stands in between you and the greatest revival. It's just three-fourths of a mile, maybe 15, 20, 25 minutes away. 2,000 steps. Just you changing your mentality. I've not come here to get, but I've come here to give. What I've seen on others, I want it on me. What I've seen behind the pulpit, I want it in my pew. But now what we need for the journey. I believe we have a church that's willing and ready to take the journey. Because you're not satisfied with the 
residue. Of a, it was a great reality of God. You've had great moves of God. I'm not downplaying any of it. You've had great moves of God. It was a great reality of God when, when, when the disciples were there. They seen the blind eyes open. Deaf ears unstopped. They seen all of that. Not downplaying that it was a great reality of God, but it was less than what God has in store. But what we now need step out of where we are and where we've been stuck for a season a prophetic pause if you could call it that we've been stuck in this prophetic pause in between what was and what will be and what it is is what you've been feeling pastor this reactivation of faith that you've been preaching about that you've been feeling it is this reactivation of faith that is needed for you to take the first step into the journey But where did they get the faith to take the journey? We read over it all too often. Those angels, the same angels that said, Why stand ye gazing up into heaven? They still, they hold the key for the faith to get them the rest of the way. Notice the angels, what the angels said. The angel came in first. We always read... Ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing? We always jump to that, but we skip the faith, the element of faith that the angel said. The angel said, ye men of Galilee, not, hey, you apostles, not, hey, you Peter, James, John. The angel knew enough that if they're going to get the faith necessary to take the journey, to get in position, to get in the place where God could fulfill the promise, I can't address them by who they are or what they will be, but I've got to get them to focus and remember. Ye men of Galilee. In other words, the angel said, if you can remember how far God's already brought you, there lies the key to give you the faith for the rest of the... If I can get you to look back at where he found you, the mess he brought you out of, how far he's brought you to where you are now, if you can look back there and see where you are now... They traveled 900 miles, three and a half years. Now they've got just 2,000 steps. Now they're... If we've come this far, what's another 2,000 steps? If we've come this far, what's another 15, 20, 25 minutes? If we've come through hell, what's another little while? I'm telling somebody, those angels understood and God knew that if I'm going to get them to break free from what was, I've got to get them to understand your past is not your prison that needs to capture you. The angel was literally saying to them, I've brought you this far, not so you could settle for what once was, but ye men of Galilee, I brought you this far for you not to be imprisoned by a great and powerful past. But I've brought you, ye men of Galilee, this far because I knew one day you'd need a little bit more faith to get you to where I need you to be. Can I tell you, maybe your past that has captured your mind, your mentality, and your ways you've operated in your walk with God, your past was never made to capture you.
But it was made so that it might be a prophetic push into your potential. So let me say to this Antioch church, with a great and mighty and powerful past, ye men of Galilee, don't just sit there settling for what has always been because right down a hill there is a greater more anointed prophetic potential but you need to break out of what once was and say God didn't bring me this far to die on a mountain outside of my promise God didn't bring me this far to let me die outside of the greatest reality of God that mankind has ever known Somebody, you need to stand to your feet and acknowledge he didn't bring me through what he brought me through because he didn't love me. He brought me through what he brought me through so he could get me the rest of the way. He didn't bring you through your winter season. No, no, no. So be just so you think he doesn't love you. He brought you through it. Come on, I'm telling somebody, don't disassociate yourself with your past too quick because it might hold the key to your future. It might hold the key to the faith needed for the church. Jesus, Jesus. Come on, if God's already brought you 900 miles, what's a few more steps? If he's brought you three and a half years, what's a few more minutes? If he's brought you through what he's brought you through, I'm telling you, it took more to bring you out than it's going to be to take you in. Jesus. Jesus. Think about it. They came out of Egypt. And they came to a mountain just like the disciples. Mountains, moment of transitions. They came out of Egypt. You can be seated. They came out of Egypt. Now they're at a mountain. Mount of the law. And at that mount... God was about to give them what they would need to get them where they were going. And not only get them there, keep them there. Because what good is it if you get there, but God can't keep you there? So God stopped them at that mount of the law and gave them the commandments or the things necessary to get them where they are going, get them the rest of the way, and get them through the journey. That's why... That beloved commandment, honor your mother and father, makes so much sense. It wasn't just saying honor your mother and father or remember mom and dad just so they can get a tie on Father's Day and some flowers on Mother's Day. But God knew if I'm going to get them the rest of the way into the promised land, I've got to give them this understanding. Honor your mother and father. Your mother and father is where you came from. And God knew if, I can, if I'm going to get them the rest of the way, I've got to get them to remember where they 
Now watch. For them to honor their mother and father, remember their mother and father, they've got to remember Egypt because mom and dad were in Egypt. So they had to look back past the Red Sea. They had to look back past their deliverance. Look back past where God before the tambourine started sounding. They had to look back past where they came from and realize how far God brought me. Because your faith is going to lie in what God's already done. Because it's going to take more, it's going to take more power to bring you out than it's going to be to take you in. And he said, if I can get you to remember how I brought you out. If you can remember when the Red Sea parted, if you can remember when the tambourine sounded, if you can remember what I've done already, then you can get enough faith to get you the rest of the way. Think about it. Think about David and Goliath. I know we've heard about David and Goliath about a thousand times. But David and Goliath, David had a potential to reign and rule as king in Jerusalem. In Jerusalem, the same Jerusalem the disciples were about to go into, into position for the prophetic potential. But all of a sudden one day, David, he's anointed, but he's not yet appointed. He comes to the battlefield one day bearing gifts for his brethren. And he sees that the whole army of Israel is stuck in a valley for 40 days. And David, he's flat. I see him getting mad because David knows as long as they're stuck, my destiny's on hold. So I'm going to take it as my personal obligation to see what the problem is. Because as long as you stuck, my destiny's on hold. So he said, all of a sudden that giant comes out talking his stuff. That giant comes out and says, says some stuff to him. He said, who is this uncircumcised Philistine dare to fight the armies of the living God? And when David takes a step, watch me now, David takes a step forward towards his destiny, his potential. All of a sudden, his older brother comes out of the woodwork. He said, wait a minute, David. I know the pride and the naughtiness of your heart. And his elder brother reaches into an unknown, unbiblical past and tries to pull something out of David's past to keep him from his future. Watch now. There will always, when you choose to take a step forward in the journey, There will always be a spirit that tries to step up and say, Hey, I know what you did. I know how you messed up. I know the pride and the naughtiness of your heart. I know what's in there. You just come here to be entertained. Reaches in. Watch me now. Notice they didn't recognize he brought cheese. He brought gifts. The brethren will not recognize gifts if they're just there being entertained. Just a little, I just, I don't know why I just. But watch now. That elder brother pulls out an unbiblical, unknown past and tries to use David's past to stop his future. And notice, 1 Samuel 17, 
David didn't deny it. David didn't try to cover up. He didn't try to, no, no, no. He didn't deny it because he knew what was there. But he ignores. Says, is there not a cause? Is there not a cause why I went through what I went through? Is there not a cause why I'm here? Is there not a cause that I'm fighting for? So he says, He goes on to Saul, King Saul. He says, King Saul, what do I get if I knock his head off? And Saul says, no, 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 wait a minute. You're just a youth. He's a man of war from his youth. You can't go against him. In other words, he said to David, David, you don't have enough in your past to get you to your future. Antioch, you think you're going to have the greatest revival? You're going to set the precedent for the whole? No, 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 no. You, you're too young of a church. You young people are too young to have the greatest revival. You ain't got enough in your past. You ain't got enough in your past to get you to your potential. See, obviously King Saul understood that there's something that lies dormant in our past until we choose to activate it, and it's called faith. Because David said, wait a minute, King Saul. I know you think I'm young, and you don't think I got much in my closet. But there's some things that I face that you don't know about. There's some emotional struggles that I've gone through. Some mental battles that I've been. And God brought there came a lion against me and God brought me through it. God brought a bear against me and God brought me through it. And if God brought me through that, God's going to make that giant like one of them. And God, watch now, watch now. God re, or David reached in to the same past that Eliab did. But used it for something different. David learned to reach into the same past that was tried to be used against him. He said, I know the pride and the naughtiness of your heart. When it, and when it came down to it, David, he pulled out the carcasses of both of them. He pulled out the carcass of a lion, pride. He pulled out the carcass of a bear, nodding. No, do you missed it. He said, yeah, I didn't deny it. I had pride and I had naughty, but God brought me through them and God's going to bring me through. If God brought me through that, I'm coming out of this. And I'm going to have revival. I want some young person, some young person to say, you may not think I've been through anything, but there's things going on in my mind you don't know about. There's things that go on in my bedroom, emotional struggles, insecurities, things that I face that you don't know about. I feel unworthy at times. I feel like I'm not good enough let me just stop to here. That feeling, somebody, that feeling of feeling unworthy or not good enough. Let me stop there for a second. You want to know what caused Eve to fail? First, the devil questioned the Word of God. But then he said to Eve, that same Eve that was created in the likeness of God, that serpent said, eat of this fruit and you shall be like God's. Eat of this fruit and you'll be like God. Insinuating that she wasn't. 
Here's the devil's supreme tactic, trying to get you to think less of yourself. So you have to, guess what? He was sowing the seed of a performance mentality. For you to be like God, you've got to do something. You've got to perform. You... So that's what the devil's tried to do with our young people, to get you to think less of yourself. So you have to try to prove how good you are. Therefore, a performance mentality. Therefore, a religion. But my God created you in his likeness, in his image. You need to stand up and say, I'm not a, I'm a son. You may try to use my past against me, but God gave me my past. Get your dirty hands off it. It's going to get. My, my, my. I'm almost done. I promise. I heard you like long-winded preaching. That's all I heard. Somebody told me. Watch now. David, he knocked that dummy down. Because he got faith from what he'd been through and what God brought him out of. He conquered his pride and all in his name. You want to know what your past is? Your past, the sword in Goliath's hand. Because he got up on Goliath's chest. David didn't have any weapons. But he took Goliath's sword and used Goliath's sword to take Goliath's head off. Your past is the sword in Goliath's hand. As long as the enemy has a hold of everything you've been through, as long as he's got a hold of your past, he can use it against you. He can use it against you. That's why the things you've been through still hurt. That's why it still stings when you think about it. But why don't you take the sword out of Goliath's hand? And say, that's my past. That's my blessing. That's my grace that God gave me. He brought me out. So now I'm going through. My, 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 my. Don't let him use your past against you. You kidding me? Messing with your mind saying, well, look how good it used to be. Look at the old watermarks. It ain't there now. And try to use a lesser residue against you. But I got a word for somebody. You want to know why your past is so powerful? And let me tell some of the young people you've been raised in church. You don't have to come out of drugs. You don't have. No, 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 no. You think to have a testimony you got to be a, a crackhead. No, 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 no. Guess what? You can have just as much faith because of the things God kept you from. And say, look what God kept me from. I'm untouched. I'm unscathed. That stuff couldn't get a hold. God kept me from that. And if God kept you from that, what else can he keep you from? Why don't you step out in faith? I know, I know, I know. I'm almost done. Watch now. Because we're going somewhere. I'm telling you, God has spoke to me some very clear things. But I want you to understand, the reason your, your past is so powerful to the enemy. Watch now. God created Adam and Eve, Genesis 2, and formed them from the dust. We came from the dust, friend. 
But after Adam and Eve, they failed, they messed up, separated themselves from God. God comes down and puts some curses on the serpent. He says, you're cursed above the cattle and beasts of the field. And on your belly shall you go. The belly's how the devil operates. He said, on your belly shall you go. And dust shall you eat all the days of your life. You understand? The reason your past is so powerful to the enemy because dust is the only thing that God ever gave the devil permission to feed on. And dust is where you came from. Therefore, I'm saying to you, the only thing that the devil has on you, he feeds on where you came from. He gets strength out of what? He feeds on the fact that you may have failed. He feeds on the fact that you may have messed up. He feeds on where you came from. But guess what? I I believe it's time for this church to starve the devil. Shut up, devil. Get my past out of your mouth. Your past gives the devil strength. But if you could say, give me my past. That's what God's done for me. You can starve the devil. You won't have to war with him. Just starve him to death. That's why. I promise I'm almost a Some piano player, please come. Give him hope, please. But watch now. Think about the dust. The devil feeds on the fact that you had pride. He feeds on the fact that you ain't seeing what you once seen. If you're doing what you're supposed to do, and how come this ain't happening? That ain't happening. And you got all and you got all this stuff worn against our minds. And he uses he feeds on that stuff. But guess what? You know what one of the plagues was in Egypt? Lice. I, I, I once watched a, a bald man scratch his head when I said that. But guess what? God made a plague of lies. But where did he get the lies from? He had Moses. He said, smite the dust. In other words, God's going to use your past and where you come from to leave your enemy scratching his head. I don't know how they came through it. I don't know how they paid for it. I don't know how they got their kids saved. I don't know how they stayed in church. I don't know how they did what they did. I threw everything at them. But there's, I don't know how they came out of it. I don't know how they made it to Jerusalem. Let's all stand. I want you to listen to me for one more second. Because in 1 Kings, 2 Kings chapter 2, there's a transition between Elijah and Elisha. And they they both went together. They both knew he's gonna be he's gonna be my Elijah, I'm gonna be Elisha. But they knew together. Give me your hand. They're going to go together. They've been together. And all of a sudden, they begin to feel the shift in this transition. Like Elijah, what once was, 
is about to shift off the scene. And what will be is about to come to the forefront. And this younger prophet, this older prophet, the older prophet says, young man, just stay here at Gilgal. I'm going to go to Bethel. Gilgal means the prophetic. It is, it is the place where they reinstituted, reinstituted covenant. Or it means salvation. He said, just stay here being saved. I'm going to go to Bethel. And he says, as the Lord liveth, as thy soul liveth, I will not leave thee. And the Bible says they both went together to Bethel. Once they got to Bethel, Bethel means the house of God. The house of God. He said, just stay here at Bethel. I'm going to go to Jericho. He said, no, as the Lord liveth, as thy soul liveth, I will not leave thee. In other words, he said, I'm not just going to settle for being saved. And I'm not going to settle for just coming to church. And then they go both together to Jericho. Jericho was a place of significant historical moves of God. A past generation's move of God. He said, you stay here at Jericho, young man. I'm going to go across Jordan. He said, no. As the Lord liveth, thy soul liveth. I'm not going, Pastor, I'm not going to leave. I'm not going to settle for just coming, being saved or just coming to church. And I'm not going to settle for somebody else's move of God. Although it was great, although the walls fell, although Rahab the harlots were saved, I'm not settling for somebody else's past generation of moves of God. And they both went together over Jordan. And they came to a place where the old, what once was, was about to be carried away in chariots. What will be was about to take up a mantle. But he says, what would you have for me to do? He said, I want a double portion of thy spirit upon me. He asked something that had never been asked. He was willing to go beyond any precedent that had ever been set. He said, I don't want to be limited by what once was. I won't double so I could go twice as far in honor of what was. He said, watch now. He said, he asked for something beyond anything that had ever been done. Most of us, we just settle. I just want what you got. I, Elijah, you're great. I just want what you got. But he knew I will not be limited by precedents and watermarks that have been set before me. But I want twice. And all of a sudden, we know the story. Mantle falls from heaven when the chariots take away the old. And the news about to step on the scene. But watch. There's a requirement that Elijah asked. He said, I want twice of what you got. I don't want to be bound by what has been. And I'm telling you, this church cannot be bound by what has been when he has a double portion for you. But listen, the requirement he said, he said, you've asked a hard thing. But if you see me when I go. He said, you've come with me this far. 
Don't get stuck here. You've come with me this far. But if you see me when I go, in other words, if you can keep your eye on the relationship that brought you this far, don't get caught up with the wind. Don't get caught up with the fiery chariots. But if you can keep your eye on what brought you this far, that'll give you the faith to step out of where you are and take up the unprecedented revival and prophetic potential that God has in store for you. So here's why I preached what I preached. If that was the mantle, if that was your unprecedented revival, that mantle right there, if that jacket, if that... Nobody moved. Nobody went after it. You're waiting for it to come to you. I want somebody, I want you to lift your hands. Because somebody, you're thinking right now why it's not you that's running and grabbing that jacket. Somebody right now, you're wondering, well, well, why, why not me? That's it, Pastor. That's it, Pastor. I wonder if there's a church that will take the journey. I will not be limited by the residue of past realities. I wonder if there's a church that you'll begin to make that journey off the mountain. Get around your Elisha. Come on, make the journey. Come on, ye men of Galilee. God didn't bring you this far for you to die outside of your prophecies. My God, I feel faith in this house. Come on, I see an eastern gate. I see an eastern gate. I see the glory. I see the glory. Somebody go after it. Don't wait on it to get to you. Go after it. Come on, God is positioning you. Come on, David. Come on, David. You don't got enough experience. You don't have enough in your bag to get you where you're going. But you fought some battles nobody else had to fight. 
You warred some wars and nobody else had to war. You are a generation that has fought its battles, but behind closed doors. Come on, somebody cry out. I want double. Begin to ask unprecedented things. Begin to ask above and beyond what you've ever seen. That's it. Come on, that's it, young man. Come on, that's it, young lady. Take that step of faith. Come on, you don't have to live in the shadows. You don't have to live in the shadows. You fought your battles in the shadows, but now God is wanting to bring you out and place you in position. Come on, I bind insecurity. I bind insecurity and lose a confidence in the call, in the positioning, in the prophetic that is on you. Come on, that's it. Something's happening right now. Faith, faith, faith for a miracle, faith for a healing, faith for deliverance, faith for what God has promised you, faith for the journey. Come on, begin to pray for somebody. Don't wait for them to pray for you. But you pray for them. Somebody to come pray for you. 
won't you step out of where you are and won't you go pray for somebody? Oh, yeah. 